Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. All right, all right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Revolution. As always, uh, glad to have you here. Um, glad you're listening online. Uh, we always appreciate it. Uh, I'm a little tired. Had uh, My son got up in the middle of the night last night, decided he wanted to sleep in my bed, and then my daughter, who's seven months, decided to, she wanted to sleep in our bed, basically cried. And so... I slept sandwiched between two children last night, and I am a little bit, a little bit tired. The fatherhood, the joys of fatherhood. Um, so our president said some pretty awful stuff this past week, huh? Um, I have a, such a hard time following the news, but... Um, something about shithole countries and things like that. And it's kind of devastating. And then last night I watched David Letterman's back on uh, Netflix, and I watched his interview with Barack Obama. And it was a really great interview, but at the same time, man, it was tough. Just, you know, because you're like, I can't believe we went from like such what seemed like sanity to such craziness, just like insanity. It's bizarre to me. <laughs> I can't figure it out. And there's a whole group of people who love it, and that really makes me not be able to figure it out. But uh, that's not exactly what we're going to talk about today, but I'm sure sure somewhat relates, because um, we're in Galatians 2, and, uh, yeah, we'll just get into this thing. Galatians 2 starts out with uh, Paul talking about him and the other apostles. Um, he said, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up in response to the revelation that I laid before them, though only in private meetings with the acknowledged leaders. The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not compelled to be circumcised, though he was Greek, but because of false believers secretly brought in, who slipped into spy on our freedom, we have in Christ Jesus, so they, did, so they might enslave us. We did not submit to them, even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might always remain with you. Um, goes on to say, and from those supposed leaders, anyway, let's, let's think, look at this for a minute. This, uh, Paul was very respectful in a way of going and meeting with the leaders. I think that was a good point of meeting with the, the 12, going before them, you know, um, but he was also very real with it. But here you see there was so much going on, so much confusion, it seems like, early on in the faith if 
Gentiles, how Gentiles could be Christians, and what that was about. Because it was so ingrained in Judaism to not associate with Gentiles. You did not eat with them. You did not do business with them. You did not walk with them. You just, you just did not associate with them. And now everything is turned on, its, on the top, upside down. You know, Paul's like, no, this is, you know, we, the Gentiles are accepted just as Jews, and they don't have to become Jews in order to become Christians. But there was a strong sect of people who believed that they needed to do that. And that's why they were spying on their freedom. When they were spying on their freedom, they were basically looking to see if he was circumcised or not. So, you know, I guess they were in the bathtub or shower, whatever, <laughs> peeking to see what was going on. Um, interesting stuff. <laughs> Just seems normal, I guess, now again, nowadays with all the weird press that we see. Um, but he goes, I like how he says, even for a moment, you know, we did not submit to them even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might always remain with you. Paul knew that this, these things that seemed like small things or, or, or big things that the people were condemning Paul for, and they were condemning him because he did not believe in circumcision, um, were very important, and very important to keep the truth of the gospel to remain with the people and to remain strong and to not compromise the truth of grace. Um, and it's easy to, to compromise grace because it's easy to be judgmental. It's easy to take the, the wide road. Um, it's easy to think that there's particular people, you know, who do certain things right and that there's a, a club, you know, Christianity is a club, you know, us and them type of thing. And it's easy to slip into that. And Paul was very careful not to do that. goes on to say, And from those who were supposed to be acknowledged leaders, what they actually were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Now here's another verse that I really love, and it's often just kind of read over, is this God shows no partiality. Um, in some translations it says God is no respecter of men. Um, that's an inclusive verse. It includes that there is no particular special people. He's saying even the 12, God doesn't have any partiality towards them. They don't have any special calling or special thing. There's nothing special about them. We're all one in Christ. And he, he, goes, on, he goes on further down the road here in Galatians to make that very clear that we're all one in Christ. Um, and that is so inclusive, and I, I, I wish more people grasped onto that moment of that God shows no partiality. You know, um, there, you know, God doesn't go like, oh, well, I favor Rob Bell over, you know, Peter Rollins when they're touring together right now. So that's the first thing that came to my head. Or I've, you know, or the size of a church, you know. So, I, you know, that's, that's not what it is. God does not show partiality. 
which is a great thing. It's a great thing because it shows that we're all accepted, we're all one, and that Christ has allowed us to all be one. Those leaders contributed nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel for the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter, marking him as an apostle to the circumcised, also worked through me in sending me to the Gentiles. Now this is once again the Apostle Paul saying, I was sent by Christ. This is the thing is they're saying, well, Paul didn't walk with Christ. He wasn't part of Christ's crew. He wasn't part of the 12, so he's not a real apostle. And this is Paul defending himself as an apostle, but he's saying the same person, being Christ, being God, sent, who sent Peter, has sent me. Um, it seems like he guards his words a little bit with this, like he's going further, but he just doesn't go too crazy. And when James and Cephas and John, who were acknowledged pillars, of rec- rec- pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, they gave Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they, <clears throat> and, to the, and they to the circumcised. They asked only the one thing, is that we remember the poor, which was actually what I was eager to do. Which is another great thing is that, you know, the poor are, is, is always a, an important group of people to be recognized, being cared for it and loved. Even in this controversy, they were saying, yes, reach Gentiles, but also please don't forget the poor. You know, some people will say, well, the poor you always have with you. They use that verse to to ignore the poor. Or they'll say they live in crappy countries or something ridiculous like that. But no, um, we're called to love the poor, to care for the poor. And uh, Paul saw that. The next is quite an interesting part. Maybe my, I don't know, my favorite. I have favorite verses. I have a favorite verse in, in Galatians, but kind of the favorite story is one of is the story is but when Cephas came to Anatoch which is he's talking about Peter I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned for until certain people came from James he used to eat with Gentiles but after he came he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction um that's going to be the name of my new band, Circumcision Faction. Um, and the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that what they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, like live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? And what's happening here is this group of people, it's so funny because I was reading this commentary and they're like, it's, you know, a good Christian commentary. So it's like these people must have not really been associated with James. But I don't know. It says they were associated with James. And uh, 
they come in, this gang, a group, and they're intimidizers, and they're, they have the law, and they have legalism. And obviously, they're, they're intimidating enough to make people feel like, oh, I can't be with this certain group of people. And you see, we're seeing a prejudice there. We're seeing what prejudice looks like um, in, in spiritual, uh, like, you know, oh, don't sit with those who aren't good enough. Don't be with those who aren't good enough. And so many people in the church, uh, I know I experienced this a lot when I was younger, is, you know, if I was okay and going to church, you know, I was accepted in the group, but if I wasn't, then I was like kind of the, a black sheep and you were kind of marked as being bad. I don't know if that's still how things work. I have a feeling that's not so much how things work here in Minnesota because I feel like we have so many liberal churches, but I'm sure we have some conservative ones too that I'm just not plugged into. I mean, there's one I'm kind of on my radar, but but uh, I haven't heard much from them lately. Um, you know, and we have to be weary of this, this type of thing in every aspect of our life not just in Christianity, but in, in politics. And in, I mean, politics right now seems to be the big alienating thing. And, you know, if God shows no partiality, it's up to us to show no partiality. And if we're going to see people change, and we're going to have conversations, well, we have to be involved in everybody's lives. We can't just say, like, well, I'm going to avoid these people or avoid that. And it's so funny how many people, like, I even got a tweet today asking me, can you tell me what's wrong with your dad? What's going on with him? You know, and it's like everybody wants me to be the, you know. And for me, I'm trying to just, like, send pictures of my grandkids to him, you know, because he likes that. That's what I'm trying to do right now, you know. And I'm trying to be somewhat inclusive there. If things come up when we talk, we talk about it. You know, sometimes I bring it up. But uh, sometimes I pull the pall and go, what are you doing here and there, there, you know. But most for most part, I want to be an inclusive person who's able to hopefully shine some light and hope and... In, 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 uh, some, I don't know, grace, for lack of a better word, inclusion. But man, that's tough. It's a tough, tough thing to do. Paul goes on to say, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. I just find incredibly bizarre that he says. Um, Yet we know that the person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, one of the reasons I like to harp on the law so much is because I really do feel that the religion has created new laws. And the church has created new laws that we are supposed to live by. And a lot of us have been like, oh, you know, especially in this room and folks on the podcast, you know, this is preaching to the choir. But there are a lot of people who are caught up in laws of Christianity of do's and don'ts and certain things that you're supposed to, you know, hold sacred and not sacred, and it creates a new law. 
And so that's why, to me, legalism and judgmentalism and separate, s- separatism, um, a lot of the, probably a lot of the folks that don't get shocked by the fact that our president said shithole countries um, who are claiming to be Christians, you know, they have a law in a way that they think, you know, to think that, well, if I'm a Christian, I must vote this way as a Republican or must do this, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a form of law that gets in the way. I'll do it anyway. I'll despite my, my, you know, people say, I'll follow this despite my real convictions. Um, yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the work of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. No one will be justified by the works of the law. We're not justified by what we do. But if, our, but if in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very thing that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. And the thing that this is talking about here, where it says, but when I build up again the very thing I tore down, it's saying when I rebuild the law. This isn't saying when I rebuild the sin. It's saying when I rebuild the law, the very thing that I had torn down, then I am a transgressor. He's saying Peter was a transgressor here. Barnabas, a transgressor. You know, these guys were transgressing because they were showing partiality. They were showing favoritism. They were saying, oh, I, I, they, were, they were fearful of what certain people thought. They were fearful of the circumcision faction. And so they were transgressors, and Paul called them out on it. And there's a time to do that. I really believe that. For the, for, <clears throat> I've seen some pastors doing it lately on even on Instagram, which is a bizarre platform, I think, for some of that. But they're doing it, and it's encouraging to see. Ryan Meeks, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He's a pastor from Seattle. He's been speaking out a lot lately, and uh, really passionately. And it, it's uh, really been cool to see him speak out against this the certain way the government is right now, the certain way the president's acting, you know. I wish I was more connected to to understanding a lot of this stuff because I, but when I have two children, I feel like I'm out of the loop half the time. But it's great to see people standing up for for this and calling out transgressors. And they're calling out pastors who, you know, ignore who celebrate one thing and then ignore another thing. You know, they celebrate the, you know, all lives matter <laughs> or something like that, or they celebrate, the, you know, these different things that the conservatives say. But then they also celebrate someone saying shithole countries, which doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't, it's not, it doesn't make sense. And... uh and I've seen some pastors doing some really great jobs of calling people out on that, and I think it's, it's a good thing to do. 
For though the law I died, the law so that I might live, God, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So Paul was very clear that this is, his life was Christ-centered. He was called by Christ. It was Christ who lived in him. He's been crucified with Christ. Um, he's dead to the law so that he may live. You know, I have to die daily to the law. I have to die daily to my prejudices. I have to die daily to things that I, supremacies in my life in order to live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And uh, that's a bold statement. That's a tough statement. It's a tough statement to say, I no longer live. I feel like I live a lot, you know? I don't know what it's like to turn my life and will completely over to Christ and say, Christ lives in me, I no longer live. And that's pretty intense. And the thing is, is do we want that kind of life? Paul certainly did. But for us, how do we weigh that? You know, how do you, how do I be a father and weigh that? You know, how do I be a good parent and weigh that? How do, you know, at the same time, be a good minister and weigh that. You know, there's different things and a good husband and a good friend. And, you know, how does that weigh out? I don't have all the answers for that. It's stuff that I work through on my own, you know. Because there's a part of me that's like, you know, Christ lives in me, but at the same time, I don't want to brainwash my children into believing what I believe just because I believe it's right, you know. I want them to be able to grow up and have their own thoughts, you know, their own convictions. And uh, for me, I just grew up singing all the Christian songs, praying when I was, before I remember, you know. So it was just set in my brain that this was a true, real thing. And I never really got that chance. I mean, later I have my own doubts, my own struggles, my own worries. But I wasn't allowed to have that development so it's a really tough strategy for a lot of us parents out there who are having to deal with that and how we we raise our children with our faith Paul goes on to say and now I live my life now in the flesh no and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's one of my top five verses now in maybe top three verses in New, in Galatians. Um, 21 says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Do you hear that? I do not nullify the grace of God, for if I justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. One of the things that changed my life was, now I have a different thought on atonement theory now in my life, but 
I struggle with that one too, <laughs> but, um, on and off, but cause I don't think God needed blood, but anyway, that's another sermon. Um, but I understand where the idea came from and the concept would make sense to this t- in this time and age and context. But I do not nullify the grace of God for the justification comes through the law of Christ or, or, or comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. You know, a friend of mine reached out to me once and said, I told him I was, this was when I was probably 20, 21. And uh, I said, man, I, I feel like God hates me. And I don't know what to do. You know, I can't figure out how to please God. I can't stop doing certain things. You know, I can't, you know, I don't feel right. I feel like there's something wrong, you know, I pray and pray and pray, but I still not delivered from my drinking or I'm not delivered from whatever. And it's it's uh it's impossible. And I just lived in this misery of I have mal I have hard time with relationships anyway. Um I have a very I have a lot of guilt in my life and a lot of shame. And so I don't have a lot of close relationships because sometimes I enter into those relationships and let shame and guilt kind of stew in those. And I have to be careful with that. But I've been doing a lot better with that thanks to therapy. Um, Where I'm going with that. Let me think. Where was I going with that? A lot of shame, a lot of guilt. Out of that, oh, um, but my friend, go back to that, told me he goes, You're making Christ's death in vain. He pretty much spread this to me. He goes, You know, you're trying to earn your salvation, you know, you're trying to. Oh, the point was, is the relationships like that were the relationships I had with God. So I had that shame in that relationship with God, and I always felt like God was the big eye in the sky, but was just so disappointed with me, and I just felt such depression and such loss and such judgment and such, you know, just like constantly feeling like someone is unhappy with you, and that just happens to be, you know, in my understanding at the time, the creator of everything. And I just was constant guilt, you know, constantly just hated hated myself you know I remember I would go outside and smoke and I would just feel like just the weight of the world seemed to weigh on my shoulders because of how I felt of my relationship with God was and luckily hearing my friend D.E. say you're making Christ's death in vain at first I thought he was trying to just justify his own shit you know so I was like whatever helps you sleep at night buddy but over time, he showed it and proved it to me. And uh, it set me free from that guilt. It set me free from that prison. It set me free from those things where actually some of the things I felt like I could never do, I did. When I realized that I was accepted 
and that it wasn't about law, it wasn't about works, it wasn't about what I could do or couldn't do for Christ, um, that I, when I stopped nullifying the grace of God, because that's what I was doing, that's when I got sober. That's when I was able to put certain things aside because it wasn't this great big disappointment anymore. The, um, the, what's the, when, 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 when they outlawed alcohol, what was that called? Yeah, when the prohibition was taken off, gone, it was no longer as big of a challenge. It was no longer this horrible thing. The prohibition is what, what the law was what rose those things inside me and caused me to feel like there was no hope, you know. But when I was able to die to that law and die to the prohibition, I found hope and I found an answer and I found not complete peace, but I found a lot more peace than I'd ever had before. And... uh it's nice to be able to sit up here and say, yes, I am depressed. Yes, I struggle with depression and have a hard time. But one of the things I don't struggle with is, my, is, is knowing that I'm accepted by something greater than myself. And it's because of Paul standing up to Peter. It's because of Paul saying these words that I know I'm accepted. It's a really good feeling. And I hope that we all grasp onto that. And if we're just preaching to the choir, then I hope we're figuring out other ways to help other people realize that they're accepted. You know? I hope we're able to go, no, no, no. You know, people who are living in lives of guilt or feeling bad about themselves all the time, if they, especially if it's brought on by religion, then you go, you know, that's, that's bullshit, you know? You're treating the grace of God as meaningless. I mean, so many people leave the church because of that because of the theology is so bad and they don't get that. They don't have someone to say, you're trying to earn your salvation. They just say, I can't keep up with this race anymore. I'm done. I'm writing it off. Forget about it. And that's what I would continue to do on and off again is I would just be like, oh, I'll just put God on the back burner and just live my life. And, you know, but I kept, problem was he was on the back burner. I didn't just take him off the burners altogether. <laughs> you know, so that was... That was a, uh, an issue. And uh, always gnawing at me. Always something that was, there was something there. And it was grace. And grace grabbed a hold of me and changed my life. And so many people who've just rejected the church, it's because they had no one tell them that they were nullifying grace. Grace was being nullified because of the bad theology that they've been taught, you know, but that they are accepted, whether they like it or not. Pretty bold thing, and uh, I love that. And so I don't want to nullify grace in people's lives. Um, and I don't want you to nullify grace in people's lives. I want us to figure out ways that we can do the exact opposite. We can affirm grace in others' lives. That's the key. And that's the call. And uh, we have a lot of calls right now.
to do in this country and the places we're at, to stand up for truth and to stand up against tyranny and uh, at the same time as be ministers and people of grace. That's a lot. But that's what I got for you today. That was Galatians 2. We're going to head into 3 next week, and uh, it gets pretty heavy in theology next week, so that'll be fun. All right, I'm going to say a real quick prayer, and then we can uh, get out of here. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Um, I ask that you just help us with understand these books of Galatian, understand you know the words that you had to say, the, the, the words that Paul had to say. Um, help us set free people who might be nullifying the grace. Help us to, to reach out to those who might still be in prison and be suffering from legalism and fear they may be set free from that and that you know we may help the oppressed by setting free the oppressed and the oppressors amen also um, before we go revolution is a non-profit church and we survive and we're on the air because people like you support what we do and um, we'd always rather have you than your money. But if Revolution is a church, your church, and you get something out of it, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Revolution Church. You can donate through Facebook and go to that page and hit our donation button, or you can go to revolutionchurch.com and donate there. Um, but, yeah, I have to say that now. <laughs> so... Thank you for that, and uh, thank you for listening. As always, this is Revolution Church.